You're listening to ayahuascapodcast.com. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, welcome to ayahuascapodcast.com. Our guest today is John, and uh, this is a pseudonym, and we are going to call him John because he is a med- medical professional in the United States, and unfortunately, in the U.S., psychedelics are considered unrightfully so illegal. So, uh, John, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure, John. Uh, when was uh, we saw each other like two months ago, right? Was it two months, a bit more? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I think, um, right around the end of January when I was in Colombia and we had met. Nice. Um, <clears throat> so how was, uh, tell us a bit about yourself, you know, your story of uh story of your life you know and how have you discovered um plant medicines and and your take on them well yeah um so i think my journey has been kind of a little rocky with plant medicine um i was in the u.s army for 13 years had deployed in 2014 and um after returning from uh, deployment, I was involved in a very traumatic event um, where my friend um, got in a really bad accident and lost one of his legs. Um, And that changed my whole perspective of my career and my life. I'd been an army physician. Um, I'd been doing triathlons, did an Ironman, um, had uh, gone through a divorce with a couple of children and and when that accident happened, um, I definitely was questioning a lot of things I've been doing in my life, um, and especially career accomplishments and other things and setting goals. Um, it kind of put those all kind of uh, in a shadow and um, and emotionally um, brought me into kind of a very depressed state. Um, ended up leaving the army and moving back. To, um, to my home state uh, and in the process of being in a bad relationship there I was having a lot of what would be considered post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms um, and so I uh, you know went and saw a mental health professional that was helping me with with the stress reaction that I was having uh, regarding my life and my relationships um, and uh, my work, um, not being able to handle stressful situations at work either. And so, um, you know, I went to therapy. It wasn't really bringing much fruit. It was a lot of cognitive, and I already was very cognitive about um, medical issues and mental health issues and um, even taking um, SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, as prescribed. Um, by my doctor, and I just didn't feel like I was um, gaining much benefit in my symptoms or my depression. So I moved to a different job, um, and while I was in that new city, I was listening to NPR and heard Michael Pollan um, talking about his new book, uh, How to Change Your Mind. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that book was a very powerful book about psychedelic therapy um, and looking at the benefits of psychedelics um, in the past when they were used before the 1960s and 70s, and then recently where they're being used, including plant medicines such as ayahuasca. So I got really interested. I bought his book and read it. Um, and then I started exploring what options were in my city to undergo some kind of plant medicine therapy. And, um, and I was having trouble really uh, connecting with anyone. If you're outside that world, um, it was a little bit hard for me to really um, find something that um, was professional and, and was safe to do. So then, um, you know, I kind of tried a little bit on my own and, and it honestly wasn't uh, really helping. I did see a therapist um, who was advising me to keep searching, giving me some guidance around it. Um, and then finally, you know, I started connecting with some people that had advised about ayahuasca and, and that's when I decided to go to Ecuador and try it for the first time. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh and you know that was my first experience it was uh um an experience that was a little bit intense for me because um it wasn't just ayahuasca there was other um plants that were being used such as tobacco through rape and combo um and um i got some benefits definitely felt a lot of heart opening but i knew that it wasn't going to be enough and I needed to integrate what what I did um, at the ayahuasca with other things I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So I um, started um, looking at how to integrate and really started um, meditating a lot more um, and um, journaling and, um, and then also connecting with others um, that have experienced similar things as me as well as continued ongoing therapy and joined a men's group. So I was doing a lot of work uh, after that ayahuasca experience in um, 2021. I really like that you mentioned that <clears throat> ayahuasca itself is, uh, albeit a very strong tool, it is still a tool. It's like an opening uh, that allows you to open and connect with certain emotions. And then in the end, you you are the one that needs to do the work and i think that's 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 very that's really great to discover that uh, in the beginning of your journey because a lot of people have this feeling that you know ayahuasca is this magic pill and you do it once and forever since then all your problems go away and uh, sort of it's it's great to acknowledge that that it's a that it's a process right so uh did did you get relief from your ptsd symptoms did you did quality of your life improve after you work with ayahuasca or how how long did it take or can you tell us a little bit about your journey with plant medicines yeah well you know so the ayahuasca was just a small piece of the puzzle of unwinding the complexity of post-traumatic stress disorder um you know i i course um you know having been doing therapy and getting cognitive awareness around my childhood issues being an immigrant and having um an alcoholic father and coming from a country um 
that had war and um, and chaos, um, uh, I realized that that you know a lot of my reactions were not only from current events, but probably were ingrained in some childhood as well as some ancestral issues that were coming up, um, came up during the ayahuasca as well as some of the other therapy I was doing, and when I did the ayahuasca and felt that heart opening, the biggest thing I think that I gained from it was feeling um, connected to the women in my life, including my mother, and having a lot of um, love just flowing um, towards her, her, her plight and her suffering and what she did, you know, in terms of as an immigrant mother um, to bring me the opportunity to, to succeed in, a, in, in the United States. Um, and I also connected with my ex-wife's um, trauma and stress that she had gone through when she was, you know, a child, as well as the things that I caused onto her and, and our kids. I think that was really helpful for me to really feel connected to, to their, their suffering um, and their pain. And it also helped me connect more with my current partner. Um, so I felt like I had a lot more connections now to the feelings um, of love and uh, openness and, and, and acknowledging others and having more empathy towards others, especially the women in my life. Um, but I knew that I still needed more direction and more... Um, uh, integration of this, like to be able to do it on a regular basis to, to keep this opening. And I knew that it might take more than just one, one, you know, episode of ayahuasca or um, even just ayahuasca alone. And I think that's where I got into more looking at um, a men's group like the Mankind Project, um, which helps um, bring the different archetypes um, into play and looking at shadows that tend to come up every day when we're feeling stressed or we're feeling down or, uh, you know, or we're, we're having difficult situations and how these shadows um, of our ego um, can sometimes, you know, bring more misery and suffering for, for ourselves as well as the people around us. And working through the men's group, my therapist, you know, I decided to go back and do ayahuasca again because I knew I, there was probably more deeper things so the next year i went to spain and did another round of ayahuasca which um gave me additional perspectives and insights as well as um you know showed me when you elevate your expectations for ayahuasca um or you become attached to an outcome, how it actually just gives you the opposite, which is what you really need. Um, so what you want and what you need don't always align. Um, and and that second time, that really gave me a lot of insight that I needed. I still had a lot more work to do. <laughs> um, yeah, it, is, it is a long process. The yeah, with... and you know, and, and it took me into looking at other guided therapies out there, including um, MDMA and LSD, as well as um, um, psilocybin and what's being done research-wise around those and how that can help people with depression, with 
with PTSD and anxiety. And so I started doing a lot more research into that area and seeking advice of um, people that are practicing um, providing guided therapy and seeing what they're what the outcomes they've been um, seeing. And, and I started getting really interested in that because I think the evolution of mental health um, treatment is going to involve psychedelic assisted therapy. Um, there's FDA studies currently um, that are in phase three and phase four now for MDMA. Um, ketamine is already a legal therapy that's being used. Um, and then there's definitely looking at um, psilocybin also as a potential uh, therapy aid for addiction and depression. So, you know, I, I believe that that these these plants that have been around for, you know, a very long time, thousands of years, um, have a significant role in helping humans, you know, uh, gain control of the negative mind, the, the spiraling emotions around, you know, uh, the stress or trauma they've they've had um, in their life, as well as ancestral trauma that's that's interwined in the in the neural networks of of our brains, which um, obviously helped us survive in one way, but also is hindering our ability to become more enlightened and evolve. And yeah, that's the... what led me to Col to you. Uh, obviously, that's how we ended up in Colombia, like seeking. Um, you know, more, more insight and more, more enlightenment into, into this whole process. Yeah, definitely. We're living in exciting times, you know, the psychedelic Renaissance and, and the way that, you know, plant medicines are slowly coming back into our life. You know, traditionally every culture had some kind of psychedelic they were working with and uh, mostly in the shamanic sense and in the sense of, you know, getting answers or, and directions. But um, in, um, you know, in, for example, ayahuasca, traditionally, everyone would, uh, like, a, everyone in the tribe would drink it here or there, uh, you know, sometimes regularly. And I, and I guess that that kept people sane and, um, you know, allowed allowed the harmony to to carry on, you know, in the society. And we, we sort of don't have that now. Like, lack of spirituality, we're... As they say, we are intellectual giants and we are spiritual dwarves. And, and like spirituality obviously intertwines with mental health, it seems to. Um, somebody also said, and I don't know, maybe you know the, the author of this quote. It's like, uh, psychedelics are for the mind what telescope was for astronomy or something like that. Some, something along those lines. And I, I do definitely believe in that. It seems to somehow show you the, the inner works of your mind. This is um, fascinating. So your your last experience uh, with us at our retreat, this, if you still remember what um, what the outcome of it was, could you could you share it with the audience? Yeah. Um, so my experience uh, initially was uh, I wasn't, um had been planning to do ayahuasca that weekend um i was there to support some friends but you convinced me to to uh to go through it that that i had this 
reason I was there and 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 um, and I knew there was a lot more I was hanging on to um, I um, I knew that um, that my subconscious was there were still some blockages in my subconscious um, that were affecting me from letting go of a lot of uh, uh, the stress and trauma from my my life and and also some of the shame I had around some of the behaviors I've also exhibited towards others. And my first night, uh, there was a huge purge that happened for me, um, both physically and uh, emotionally and um, mentally. Um, uh, I know that it was a very powerful night for me because I think I purged more than I've ever purged. I've ha always had difficulty um, especially with physical purge and confronting physical pain. Um, uh, I would try to distract myself in the past or hang on really tight. Um, and this time around, I was able to actually really let go. Um, and that felt really good. I felt um, it really opened me up and, and, and um, allowed me to really become more present with you know, the moment and, and um, not be so in my head around controlling the process or seeking things from the process, but rather being just open to the process. Yeah, that's, um, that's a very good, uh, you know, result uh, for the first night to be able to release. How, how, how did your second night go? Well, my second night was almost um, an extension of the first night in the in the fact that um, it was just very peaceful, like, um, you know, like it was kind of like the second day of this aspect of purging, letting go, being open and then just observing. And and uh, it was almost um, a very, very peaceful, very um blissful night um where the first part i was just very aware of everything going on but but very present and um and just um accepting it as it was and um and when my ego or shadow would come out trying to convince me to do more ayahuasca you know when it's being offered i resisted it and luckily you know, by resisting it and believing that, hey, I've had what I needed the night before. I don't need to try to go deeper. I feel like very feeling at peace with what I got. Um, uh, then it became a very um, blissful experience after that. As soon as I re rejected taking a second dose and just drank some water, um, I started feeling the effects of the medicine in a very beautiful way. It became a very blissful, very colorful and just peaceful um experience of lights and colors and patterns and um and it just kind of led me to a place of just like real peace like where i felt a lot of peace in my life at that moment um almost like where i'd want to be on a regular basis every day so it really showed me like what it feels like when your mind just finally lets go of expectations and cravings and aversions and just accepts what it what is um you just find like joy and and love and 
and presence in every moment and and um and and that was beautiful i felt like really complete from the second night yeah that's a it's a great outcome you know to to be able to switch off the chatter in your head and just uh feel feel uh being alive and being in the moment uh john so uh you are a veteran and you're also a medical professional you know and that sort of uh both of those both of those uh career paths you know they they're both very traumatic and very painful and there's a lot of doctors that are struggling there's a lot of veterans that are struggling you know as a doctor uh what obviously we know your opinion on on psychedelic is is positive but uh as a doctor you have access to sort of both sides of the picture what what is your take on you know illegality of plant medicines and the the fact that you know and and what do you think about conventional medicines in helping with with problems like PTSD and what what do you think is stopping us as a society from you know calling medicines medicines and and not calling them drugs yeah that's a really important question i mean in my opinion and my view is that a lot of what's going on around why there's resistance to psychedelic therapy is more of a financial as well as the ramifications of what happens when people take psychedelics and their view towards their governments or corporations, uh, the military. Um, uh, if people's hearts are being open and they're finding a lot more um, insight into being peaceful and loving and connecting and, and, and learning to remove you know, their stress from causing misery and trauma on others, that what what would that mean for society and uh, as a whole i think the resistance probably stems from that because i think it really changes people's minds and perspectives of a lot of things including western medicine um i i feel like my view of western medicine has significantly changed since i've experienced this um everything from the trauma i experienced to witnessing how um western medicine has resulted in an opiate epidemic where people are resist their emotional mental and physical pain now by looking for drugs um, such as fentanyl or oxycontin to relieve their suffering when they really have it within them to really um, do the work um, to relieve their own suffering and if we're always looking for an external way to re to remove our pain um, we're gonna always be um, being misled and unfortunately there's industries out there completely built around that idea that that somehow they have the answer to your pain and that they can help you overcome your pain when in reality it's um it's within you to do that and i think plant medicines don't actually um do anything um to relieve pain but what they do is they give you insight into the roadmap that you need to, to remove remove whatever those um, stressors or, or uh, emotions or thoughts that are causing you misery and pain. Well, um, interest, interestingly so enough, I, yeah. Uh, in in my opinion, or from from my own observation, when I first started with ayahuasca, it actually does have that aspect. But basically, what it does, it helps you get helps you deal with the pain. 
and then as soon you know immediately shows you what's the cause of the pain so it's not just like blindly taking away the pain and like allowing you to you know once you know go out back go back into the world and and get get more pain so it's, it kind of shows you like don't you know what to do and what not to do and how to how to actually get out of the you know the cycle that causes causes you to be in that state as opposed to let's say antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication it's just yeah. you know you uh, if you stop taking them there is no more healing with ayahuasca you can take it once and and have healing for years because of the the information you received and the understanding you received yeah exactly i mean i think like most of the medications um that get marketed for mental health as well as pain are more of band-aids and they're not even very good band-aids um so you know people get some relief they feel a little bit better um and then they get stuck on these medications which you know results in billions of dollars in the pockets of big corporations and the reality is is you know most most of those patients aren't actually getting to the root of what's the cause of their emotional mental or physical pain and learning you know how to get to the root how to remove um, that from the equation um, so that it doesn't um, keep them in that state um, because there's you know there is no pain that that is is indefinite you know um, one of the uh, concepts of Vipassana meditation is Anicca, Anicca um, coming from the Buddhist times, um, which is, you know, basically everything is changing. It's There's impermanence um, to everything, every sensation you feel, and that attaching to any one sensation, whether it's good or bad, is just going to result in misery and suffering and pain. Um, and if you can get to that area where you start to see where it's coming from and you address it by not attaching to it, you'll notice that the intensity of that pain of the emotions will decrease and decrease and you'll have less suffering around it. Um, and ayahuasca and some of these other psychedelics out there are like um, one person had um, told me about one way to look at psychedelics is like if you're in a in a high rise and you know you're at you're living on the first floor and you don't get much of a view of the whole city and you know your neighbor who lives on at the penthouse invites you up and you go up to the penthouse and you see the view the 360 view of around your whole city and you say to yourself wow like this is like an amazing view i i thought it was just you know all there was was a road and uh, you know, a few shops I can see from my window. And now I see that there's this huge, big city with all these other buildings and rivers and parks. And maybe I need to, you know, venture um, out more and, and go and see more of my city. And in a way, that's what these things do. They, they, they give you the elevator to go up to that penthouse or to climb that tree to be able to see where, where else can you go in your life? What else can you do? And where some of the blockages are that keep you from going there and um and it gives you a nice roadmap and 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 the roadmap is never 100 percent complete after one one session you know uh although 
that's enough for some people to really like have enough insight that it changes their whole life, especially with addiction medicine. Um, when psychedelics have been used for addiction or depression, um, uh, you know, even just one one episode um, of a session, one one therapy session with with ayahuasca is enough to pull you out of that state of addiction or depression. Um, but if you want more enlightenment and if you want um, to get to that next level um, where things just become less um, uh, causes for misery, those those negative thoughts that come up, not attaching to them. Um, then I think you have to you have to keep practicing both you know a daily practice um, as well as you know obviously regular insights that you have to have on how to get to the next level. So there's always another level. You're never 100% like gonna wake up one day and be all in a state of bliss and love forever. You know it it, it takes um, multiple sessions as well as the daily work that you do to get you to get you there and hopefully to get you to your end of your life where you found acceptance with uh, the imperm impermanence of your own life um, so that you're not attached to it and 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 your your spirit or your um, uh, if you're spiritual and you believe in your spirit or or your afterlife or if you're more religious inclined and you believe in heaven and um you know th th that's how you get there you get there through the this process you know the the daily process as well as these insights you get into what it takes to get to get to that next level yeah definitely it is a process and i think that uh you know if life would be a game and if you think that you know one moment you realize you know you won the game what happens when you win the game? You know, you switch off the computer and you you stop playing. It's kind of like we need the challenge, we need the growth, we need the movement to feel alive and to be alive, and we need bad to understand good, and we need good to understand bad. So it's kind of like it's not about sort of just coming to that bliss and never leaving it. I think it would be pretty boring. And I I really like your analogy with um with the building. The analogy that I like to use, also once again, I don't remember the source of it, but um if you think of uh, spirituality and mindfulness as a mountain and the, the, the this nirvana place where where people want to go is the top of the mountain, what happens is uh, you can take, the mountain is big and there's many different routes you can take. You know, one of them is yoga and others meditation, others just, you know, being in nature and all sorts of mindfulness and spiritual practices. You know, let's imagine there's hundreds of routes and in that analogy, ayahuasca is like a helicopter, which takes you straight to the top. And uh, even though, the, but there's a, there's there, there's only one condition that it takes you there for a short amount of time, couple hours, and then it takes you back. But it doesn't bring you all the way back to the you know first base. It brings you to like second base, so it's easier for you to go to go back to the top. And the, and the idea is that. You already know what it is you're heading. You already know what it is there on top. So it, it kind of like keeps you motivated and like gives you faith in in what in that there is something there to achieve in that spiritual journey. So that's how I see the 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 ayahuasca versus other modalities. And and then you get the you can take other routes to to go back to the top. You know, slowly, gradually, because I I also believe that. 
it's not that you just uh, do ayahuasca every day for the rest of your life, but the idea is that you do it uh, occasionally and you do the work in, the, in between and integrate and um, kind of find a holistic approach. Uh, uh, you, you as a doctor, right? Uh, what, what do you think about the whole notion of, you know, doctors not being able to have feelings? Like, you know, when, when, when a doctor has depression or PTSD, they have to hide in the shadows and like, um, you know, even, even conventional medicines, like they, they can't just openly admit that they are uh in a bad place mentally because then they lose their job but then like as as human beings we all understand that uh doctors you know suffer the most especially like after what happened during the um, during the covid epidemic what do you think about that yeah i mean you know it's interesting you know there's this um hippocratic approach that a lot of healthcare institutions take towards mental health and physicians and especially stress and burnout. Um, I mean, a lot of organizations are investing in physician burnout um, by providing more more services, uh, by using surveys and uh, other, um, you know, learning techniques to help physicians kind of recognize burnout, stress, sleep, uh, other other things that are happening in their life, and they want you to be more aware and. And, and they're asking surveys on how your burnout level is. I know in the military, they were doing more of this. And with the change in the way they're training physicians with limited work hours and, and sleep uh, issues and so on, a lot of training is being put into that. Now, you know, that's what visibly they're looking like they're providing things for physicians. Now, here's the problem is if physicians um, admit they are burnt out and they're feeling the effects of that emotionally or mentally, um, then they're put in this special category basically of, well, you know, they could be a danger to the patients um, if they're having mental health issues. So we need to put them on special status, whether in their credentialing at the hospitals or with their licensing. And some of that can be extreme where thing, you know, they're basically, you know, put in a suspended state where they can't practice medicine. And then they have to attain a certain amount of therapy and they have to go through a bunch of steps to demonstrate that that they're capable of doing the work. And um, and a lot of times that blacklists them um, with medical organizations, malpractice insurers, licensing boards, and then they have very and then, and then basically they have become, you know, um, outlawed in the whole uh, practicing medicine, um, you know, by by coming and admitting, you know, that they're having some struggles um, and a lot of organizations then won't hire them um, uh, and they feel afraid to hire them because they feel, well, you know, they, they're not capable of handling the stress of being a physician. And so what happens is then it drives a lot of these physicians and I've witnessed it um, with colleagues to seek care without um, professional help. Um, and a lot of times, a lot of physicians are drinking alcohol uh, at home at night um, on a regular basis or on weekends um, to numb themselves against the stress and pain. And 
as we know, of all the um, medicines out there, alcohol is probably the worst to deal with pain um, because it just brings you into a numb state and um, will lead you to, to actions that, of course, can be very regrettable, like physicians driving drunk or getting angry at their families, their wives or their children or their husbands um, or um, and becoming more reactive at work towards their colleagues. Um, so in a way, that's the indirect effect of, uh, of suppressing um, these feelings and emotions is that, you know, they end up um, engaging in very high risk behaviors. Um, even some physicians to the extent of um, using some of the medications in the hospital that are meant for patients um, illegally and, and hospitals have come down really hard on that. Um, uh, in the past, physicians would administer, you know, opiates and other, uh, you know, controlled substances to themselves or would prescribe to their colleagues and anxiolytics. Um, now that we have more computerized systems, that's not as easy for physicians to do. So clearly a lot of physicians are seeking these things outside of the healthcare system. And, you know, this is all speculation and some observations I've had um, in the past. Um, and it happens also in the military, being a veteran, watching um, a, a lot of um, officers and uh, high-ranking uh, enlisted um, military members um, also engage in high-risk behaviors when they're deployed and, and when they're at home. Um, because that's also another profession where any mental health or stress-related um, disorder is brought to the attention of leadership, typically that, that service member, um, although the military encourages service members to seek help, um, will then blacklist that member and affects that member's you know, ability to promote or, or get positions they're seeking in the military. And then uh, eventually, uh, as we've seen with a lot of veterans, um, it leads to suicide and significant drug addiction and homelessness. Um, yeah. So th this is a huge problem. You know, it, it's a huge problem that that is not really being addressed properly because I think they're just hypocritically like providing one solution, but at the same time, you know, punishing, uh, uh, you know, if physicians and service members come out and actively seek help. Yeah, this is very, very unfair the way they kind of say, like, you know, uh, come, come, we help you, but then, you know, we punish you. And obviously that that will basically lead, lead the veterans and medical professionals to just look for help outside of the, you know, outside of the legal realm. Uh, John, you mentioned to me that uh, after the retreat that you were so passionate about plant medicines and this healing modalities that you were kind of exploring the opportunity, the ability to maybe start something of your own or work with it uh, yourself. Uh, can can you share with us what what are you what are you thinking about? What ideas you have? And uh, that's cool. Well, so there's because of the process right now for legalizing plant medicines um there is now lines of training being created for physicians and mental health providers to become um guides that can um do assisted therapy and i think that's the first step for me as 
uh, as a physician is to see, to explore what, what are those training opportunities and in what places in the country or in the world is it, um, would it, would I be protected as a physician, um, uh, legally from any consequences? Um, uh, I don't, you have to, you have to understand is I don't believe psychedelics should be just legal for everyone. I'm not, I'm not at all advocating for people to go out and experiment with psychedelics, uh, uh, on their own. Um, these are, these can be, that can be a very dangerous thing to use psychedelics with no experience, um, person supervising. Um, that is one of the reasons psychedelics got such a bad, um, reputation in the 1960s and 70s is because when people started using psychedelics without supervision um, and mixing them with other drugs and alcohol and partying, um, there were a lot of people experiencing some of the um, negative side effects of psychedelics, which um, uh, is not what I'm advocating for at all. Uh, what I'm advocating is that psychedelics with proper supervision and guides in the right set and setting um, be allowed to be a, a type of therapy for people struggling with mental health addictions, um, stress, PTSD, and, uh, and et cetera. Um, I, I think there's a huge role for them. I think um, the benefits are enormous. Um, uh, better than anything that's ever been created by pharmaceutical industry, um, better than any psychological therapy alone, um, when they're used in the proper set and setting by professionals that are trained. Um, like we mentioned before, you might only need one session ever to get out of whatever um, place you're at in terms of your mental health. Um, so I, I think, you know, with proper supervision, um, I, you know, I would want that kind of training um, to be able to provide it to patients. And, um, and that's something I'm looking forward to. Um, and hopefully more universities um, will start providing certification processes that uh, allow physicians like myself to, to participate in, in providing that kind of therapy. What do you think about uh, traditional use of psychedelics and, um, you know, ceremonial setting with um, indigenous practitioners? Yeah, again, you know, I think um, like anything out there, I think um, uh, indigenous practitioners a lot of times have learned the practice um, through, you know, elders that are uh, that have gone and um, perform these ceremonies and have thousands of years, hundreds to thousands of years of practice that have refined the process uh, to the small details of it that provides a safe environment um, for people. And I think I'm, I'm completely for that. Um, uh, but we have to be careful also because um, uh, a lot of people are claiming to be shamans and um indigenous practitioners and 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 they're not um and and it's becoming a tourism thing especially in costa rica and elsewhere in central america um and we have to be careful who we label as uh, a shaman or indigenous practitioner 
versus who's doing it, you know, for financial gain and tourism. Um, so, we, you know, I wouldn't recommend that people just, you know, fly anywhere and, and do this, that they research who their practitioners are, what their experience is, um, um, where they come from and what techniques they're using and, and, and um, ask some questions around that um, before um, committing to something like that. Because again, you know, um, it is life altering. And if you end up having a really bad experience, it might actually um, take you in the wrong direction in, in your yeah, life. Definitely. I agree with that. Uh, I, I, you know, for, for those, for those of you listening who maybe not, are not going to end up at our retreat, which is, you know, Lawira retreat. Uh, if you go somewhere and you're looking for uh, shamanic or traditional use of psychedelics make sure you ask those questions question number one is uh, whether the the shaman is uh, coming from a lineage meaning you know he's uh, his ancestors are there are there shamans because this is a very high high uh, indicator that he he is because like in in their in their knowledge because they learn from their parents and they start from childhood, this is where they're, you know, this is where this gives them the opportunity to absorb the most information. Then always ask whether the shaman uh, cooks and grows his own medicine, because the most important part is the purity of the medicine. And uh, for in case of ayahuasca, it has to be only two ingredients, because if you start mixing and uh, mixing it with other stuff, that's, that's already questionable and not recommended at least at least i mean there are some dangerous additives but i know there are some uh more harmless ones but but those those are important things and also if you're looking at the retreat you know look into them and i you know we should um, respect the the traditional approach and of course uh, follow their Follow their tradition, but it, it does not hurt to combine it with uh, a bit of a Western approach and add some integration or maybe word circles or, you know, written integration like like we do at our retreat, because, um, you know, using the, the medicine to open those doors, but then using using other approaches to, to actually uh, integrate better. So th those would be my my own uh tips for for those looking for a proper proper shamanic thing because yeah in my experience uh, i've uh, i've done medicine in a lot of in a lot of places in a shamanic setting and uh so far what i've learned is that out of 10 people that say they are a shaman one of them will be a real shaman and if somebody is indigenous it doesn't mean they are a shaman they might be as clueless or maybe even more clueless than, than a than a somebody who is not indigenous so it is important that you get good recommendations for the place and you get you know you know who you're drinking with because as as uh, john said there's a very high uh, there's a very high risk and if you do it in the wrong setting setting that might you know if you feel uncomfortable it might actually make you feel worse than than before so Set and setting is another is another thing, you know, make sure that the place you're going to is comfortable. It is, uh, uh, you know, pretty and calm and there, there are no distractions, no, you know, not like a basement next to the highway sort of situation. 
Um, so yeah, that, those those would be my recommendations. Uh, John, um, do you have any anything to add uh, before we finish this episode? No, I, um, I just have to say, yeah, I, um, I found that um, what you were saying is really important in terms of doing the research and um, and making sure that you don't just force yourself to do it. There's a like a calling that happens around um, when you'll be ready to do um, something like this. So don't feel tempted to do it just because other people are doing it or um, or you just want to try something. This is this is more about a healing process and knowing where you are in that process and what um, uh, phase of that process you're called to do this. Um, and, and having the groundwork also laid out for the integration piece, you know, knowing um, how you're going to integrate what you get from, from the process, you know, so it doesn't go to waste, you know. Um, I think, I think that's really important, um, to get across. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think that's all I had extra to say. Uh, thank you. Those are really wise words. And, uh, uh, John, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sorry that today we had to do it audio only and I had to call you John because you're not John (laughs) and, uh, the ridiculousness of the fact that this plant medicine here that's been a medicine for 4,000 years is unfortunately considered a drug in your country and, you know, not respected. And, you know, that it does not have a place in our society, which it should have, but uh, um, we still need to talk about it, still get information out there. So thank you for coming to the, to the podcast. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your wisdom because you know as a veteran and as a medical practitioner you have a different perspective on on things and it's uh, it's been really great talking to you john thank you sam i really appreciate what you're doing and um and hopefully uh more people become open to to plant medicines and 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 the benefits they have for us thank you john uh guys thank you for listening uh once again uh this was ayahuascapodcast.com and uh if you're interested in participating in our retreat uh you can find us at lawyra.com l-a-w-a-y-r-a.com and uh yes thank you for listening and i'll see you soon Con la guaira, limpia, limpia.